Timothy. reading tonight is uh, going to be 2 Timothy chapter 3. The end of chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 10 and the beginning of chapter 4. Uh, we'll read through to verse 8. Uh, please join along with me. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecutions and sufferings, what What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make, make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I already am being, or I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. So tonight, we uh, are wrapping up Timothy. Uh, It's been a while. Some of you may be ready and happy for it. Um, I personally am not. Um, I very much enjoyed Timothy, and and for the reasons we're going to talk about tonight. Um, I wanted to mention, though, as well, that if you were here this morning, you heard about this. If you come from a tradition that celebrates and, and follows the church calendar, you may be aware of it, that this Sunday is actually the last Sunday of the church calendar that uh, traditionally Christians kind of start over next week with Advent, preparing for the coming of Christ. And in the same way, here in the evening service, we will, uh, for the next four weeks after this, leading up to Christmas, we're going to go through Old Testament stories that point to a very, very clear need for Jesus to come and save us. Uh, next week, a sermon, or a sermon maybe you haven't heard very often, uh, we're going to talk about Cain and Abel. And then after that, we're going to talk about a couple other passages in the Old Testament that are really difficult. Uh, And hopefully it will illuminate our need for Jesus to come and make the Christmas season and the Advent season that much more special for all of us this year. Um, And so to that end, we also will be having our readings and we will have Advent candles if any of you are 
familiar with that. We like to do that, and I like to do that, so we're going to do it. And if you are not involved in ministry here and, 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 and maybe would like to do a reading or maybe would like to you and your, your spouse or a friend or a family or whomever would like to light a candle, would like to do an Advent reading, please email me. We want to include everybody. So, tonight, the title of this sermon, um, if you saw in your bulletin, was Certainty. What can we know for certain? As Christians, as people, as members of humanity, what in the world can we know for certain? It's true that Christians or any devout religious person um, hold much more things certain than a typical agnostic or an atheist person. We, we generally believe and hold tightly to certain things, like the scientist relies heavily on proofs and, and experiments, or, or a botanist or a naturalist relies heavily on observation and repetition. The general public doesn't really hold too much to be certain, do they? There's a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of things, a lot of room for things, well, maybe that could be prove, true or not true or proven this way or that way. You know, some, some quotes I came across on certainty that I really enjoy. One from Benjamin Franklin, the famous American author and inventor, and you, you know who he is. He said that in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. It's a good one. This one uh, I like even more um, from, and this is his real name if you've never heard of him, um, Francis Bacon uh, is a... British Attorney General and Chancellor of England in the 16th and 17th century said that if a man begins with certainties, he will end in doubts. But if he is content to begin with doubts, he shall end in certainties. Philosophically, he essentially says that as human beings, we can't be too certain that we live our lives, we do our best, and hopefully at the end of our life, we have something to be certain about. And maybe it's like Benjamin Franklin, and it's only that it's death and taxes. But the Apostle Paul here in his final letter to Timothy makes a very bold and somewhat uncomfortable claim, at least for me. And he's very certain about it, isn't he? He says in verse 12, you probably noticed it. He says that if you are a Christian, you will be persecuted. If you are a Christian, you will be persecuted. You will encounter persecution, and Paul doesn't say this blindly. He says it from a life lived after Jesus and a life full of persecution. If they had told me this, 13-year-old Sam at summer camp, sitting there, hearing about the love of Jesus, if they had told me, oh, but by the way, you'll also encounter great persecution or some kind of persecution, I don't know if I would have signed up for it. I remember reading this passage for the first time many, many years later, thinking, wait a minute, this doesn't really seem fair. They told me about the love of Jesus, they told me about how I can be saved and redeemed and all the things we know to be true, but then it said that I will encounter great persecution. And, and I, in my life, I've seen many people try to explain verses like this away, try to make them seem a little bit less harsh. You know, some people do it in an effort to, to preach a gospel of prosperity or comfort. Pastors and preachers have many luxuries that come from preaching that which is comfortable and what people want to hear. In fact, this is kind of a difficult place to be a preacher. Think about this. As a preacher, why would I not want to teach the things that you guys want to hear since it's the gifts of the church that pay my salary? I once heard someone say, why would anyone listen to a preacher? He's just telling the people what they want to hear, so they keep paying him. I mean, business-wise, it's a pretty good strategy. If I told you that Jesus wants you to feel good and be happy all the time, 
but life wasn't happy, then, then you guys would keep coming to church thinking, well, the key to, to happiness is to come to church, and, then, and we keep giving, and, and it would kind of be this whole, I can create the demand and then give the supply as I want. It'd be good business. And, and many pastors, to be honest, over the years, have taken verses like this and said, well, that's not, it doesn't mean we're going to be persecuted. It doesn't mean for sure this is going to happen. Or some people have said that texts like this, you know, it's only for first century Christians. Because, you know, Rome didn't like Christians and bad things were going to happen. But it's not for us today. We can't assume this is for all of us. And there you go, easily explained away. We can skip this passage and just talk about, well, all scripture is God-breathed. Yeah, we can be certain about the Bible. But there are particularly pesky teachings of other people in the Bible that mirror this. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 10, when Jesus sends out his disciples, Matthew chapter 10, you can look it up later. He says, not only will you encounter persecution, but that there's going to be family members who persecute you. You're going to go into towns and they're going to kick you out. Jesus is so much more harsh than Paul. But again, people say, well, again, first century. You know, Jesus was talking, it's different now. God wants to bless us. How many times have you heard this? I have seen, and they're not as popular here, but in the U.S. they have these TV evangelists and TV preachers who say, God wants you to be wealthy and God wants you to be happy and God wants you to be comfortable and have no problems in life. And if you send me $50, God will give you $250. If you send me $1,000, God will give you $5,000. And while God does want us to have our needs met and God does bless us financially, people use these things and use these manipulations for people's comfort to fund what they want and fund their own ambition. Here's my argument, though. Any of us who have studied Scripture, any of us who have looked through the Old Testament and the New Testament, I can't find one person in the Bible who was counted as righteous that had an easy life. Every single person in the Bible who we are supposed to look to for inspiration and look to as an example encountered persecution and hardship. If you've ever read about what happened to the disciples after Jesus went to be with God, do you know that all but one, according to church tradition, were martyred? They kind of spread out like a, like a star, like all different ends and kind of just went all different directions, and all but one of them, John, was killed for his faith. If you read through the prophets, the prophets had kind of a rough time. How about Abraham? Yeah, he suffered. Joseph? Yep. Moses? Yep. Joshua, yep, the guy we read earlier, yep, he had a rough time. All of the judges, all of the kings of Israel. Even when Judaism was at its height, you get mentioned King David being thankful to God. Even when Judaism and, and, and the kingdom of Israel was the most powerful kingdom in the world. David, this man we're supposed to look to, struggled and suffered great persecution. When I look at Scripture... I see what Paul says, and he says, this is a certainty. I say, yeah, it probably is. To some level, to some degree, if we hold fast, and if we hold these teachings to be true, we will encounter persecution. And the word that the Apostle Paul uses here for persecution is not just suffering. This doesn't just mean, you know, things, bad things might happen. It doesn't just mean you're going to get a flat tire. It doesn't just mean, you know, you might struggle to find a job. It's not circumstances. The word he uses here is like an attack. The word he uses is like a personal confrontation that someone will come to you because of your faith 
and persecute you because of what you believe if you really believe in the things Christ has said. Some of us, unfortunately, have had this happen. I can think of a couple of times this happened to me. Sometimes it's family. Still wondering if I'm, still wondering if I'm doing that whole Jesus thing. Sometimes it's people who disagree with me. And because I'm a Christian, I must think this way, and I must hate this people, or I must be ignorant, or I must be whatever they assume. So then, what do we do? As Christians, if we say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ was who he said he was, yes, I believe in the teachings of Jesus and Paul, and he says, if, if we're going to be persecuted, then what, what, how can we stop this? How, or how can we endure it if we can't stop it? He goes on then to say in verses 14 to 17 that we have these sacred writings. We have this book. And Paul says, I have an answer to you, young Timothy, young pastor. You will encounter persecution as a Christian, but you have this book that has been given, that has been breathed out by God to give you wisdom, to give you encouragement, to give you power, He says that our answer to persecution is the Word of God. But the Word of God is not popular. The Word of God is actually kind of offensive, which is why we encounter persecution, isn't it? Anyone who's ever actually read through the Bible and said, I need to believe these things and I need to honor these, you you realize you're going to offend somebody. This is what Paul is talking about. If you truly believe this, I had a conversation over breakfast about this this morning. At some point in our lives, even though we love and even though we care and even though we try to be like Jesus to everybody, there comes a time where we have to draw a line and say, this is what we believe and this is what God desires of us. And so what the Apostle Paul tells to Timothy is that this is what this book is for. This book is our guiding light, it is our compass, it is that which we know to be breathed out from God, and it is useful for all of those things. So that, as Paul says in the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, that we can have assurance. We can have assurance to teach these things. We can have assurance to know and be confident and to be certain, so that we don't get led into myths and heresies and all the things we've been talking about with Timothy over the last couple of months. He says to preach, he says to be prepared, he says to rebuke those who don't know the truth and encourage with patience. He says to encourage others and to encourage believers with patience and careful instruction. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a parent, whether you're a co-worker, it doesn't matter. The Word of God is useful for many, many things, and when we encounter persecution, which we will We must give people truth with patience and careful instruction. And then he goes into verses 6 to 10. And I want to just talk about this in relation to all of 1 and 2 Timothy. This is Paul's final words to his young disciple. At the very end, the part we didn't read, it's just personal greetings and goodbyes, and you can read those later. But verses 6 to 10, how great would this feeling be? To at the end of our lives say, you know what? I fought the good fight. I did everything I can. I have been poured out like a drink offering. I have given all of myself to what God has called me to. And I'm good. I'm ready. I can't help but think about the opposite. Hearing stories about people towards the end of their life with regrets. 
or reading obituaries about people after they've passed away who left things undone or left things unsaid. It makes me so sad. In life, God wants us to pursue Him, to do all the things we know about church that tells us to do and everything. But when I look at the Apostle Paul and his relationship to Timothy, he says to him at the end of his life, Hey, Timothy, it's not going to be perfect. You're going to be persecuted. But I've lived it. Paul's at the end of his life. He says, I've lived it. I've done it. And you know what the secret was? The Word of God. Hold fast to it. Cling tightly to it so that at the end of your life you might say, I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. I'm good. He is bold to say that a life lived after God is a life well lived, persecution or not. And not to be overly pessimistic here, not to be a doomsday person, (laughs) but it's just my hunch that things are going to get much worse for Christians in years to come. This morning there was a, I wish I could have attended, but there was a man who shared about the persecuted church And I wasn't sure kind of who this person was. I met him very briefly. And I I look forward to hearing reports about, some of you may have even been there, I look forward to hearing more reports about what this guy's ministry was from people who were there. But I'm meeting with him and just talking with him briefly over a cup of coffee in the office this morning. And I say, so what do you do? And he says, well, my wife and I are involved. I'm a pastor. My wife and I um, both speak fluent Arabic and we're involved in ministry in Yemen. And I think, wow, Yemen, that's pretty war-torn. He probably has some neat stories. Wow, that's so great. He says, yeah, I just got back from Mosul, Iraq. What were you doing there? And he said, well, I was encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ. And I just thought, man, I complain about my family not understanding that I'm a pastor. I complain about, you know, the scientific world really thinks us Christians are a little ignorant. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are being killed for saying that they love Jesus. And there's this growing divide in the world of people who are longing for Jesus and those who aren't. If you look at the scriptures, it says that Paul has been longing, that we, des- that we need to be longing for the appearing of Christ. And that there are less and less people in this world who are longing for the appearance of Christ. Paul says at the end of his life, Timothy, you've got to get in the Word and you've got to long for Jesus. Consider our Lord who suffered and was persecuted, what did he do when he was tempted? He went to Scripture. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified, he was longing so much to be with his Father that his sweat became like drops of blood. And even when Jesus was on the cross suffering for our sins, he cried out Scripture from Psalm 22. When we are suffering persecution, brothers and sisters, We can turn to Scripture. We can turn to God in our frustration, and He understands. Some of you may be familiar with the prophet Habakkuk. At the end of the book of Habakkuk, many of you may be familiar with this passage. Things are going very poorly for the prophet. Things are going very poorly in Israel, and this is what he says. This is from chapter 3. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound, and decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. And he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come to the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines and though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food and there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will be joyful in God my Savior because the Sovereign Lord is my strength and He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and He enables me to tread on the heights. This great man of God who lived in a time where no one was pursuing what the Lord wanted and God was raising up, it actually says that God was raising up the country of Babylon to come and judge Israel essentially. He says that He will wait patiently for the day of judgment, for the day of calamity. Because he knows that his God loves him. See, this is where Paul is getting his information. When we talk about there will be persecution, it's not just one man who's a pessimist who thinks that it might happen. He's saying that throughout all of Scripture, those who stand for truth and those who stand for the Word of God are going to stick out. We're going to stick out in this world. And it's only, as I said, it's only getting worse. But the Apostle Paul says to young Timothy, you don't have to be afraid. You can be confident. You can be certain of one thing. And that is that the Word of God is beneficial. It teaches you. It encourages you. And it leads you on the way. There will be difficulties. We will have persecution. There will be preachers who are preaching what people want to hear. And there will be people who say things that aren't true. But that will not bring about the kingdom of God. As we talked about last week, that is only going to be those in chapter, at the beginning of chapter 3 who lead their lives in a way that brings folly. And eventually they'll be found out. Paul says, fight the fight. Be prepared. Look at the life of Timothy and his mentor Paul. And, and he says, there's not much certainty in life, Timothy. <laughs> You're going to be persecuted, but it's okay. Because we've been given the ultimate preparedness for it. You know, one of my favorite authors, and I'll end with this. This was about 50 years ago. He said this, and I read it now and I think it's even more true of our generation than his generation, but he says this. Without doubt, we of this generation have become too soft to scale great spiritual heights. Salvation has come to mean deliverance from unpleasant things. Our hymns and our sermons create for us religion of consolation and pleasantness. We overlook the place of thorns, the cross, and the blood. When we look at Scripture, brothers and sisters in Christ, we realize that many before us suffered hard times. Many before us endured persecution. And it's not so that we are exempt from it, but so that we can have faith that we can endure all things. So that we have faith that no matter what we encounter, we know that God will be with us and that God will give us strength and that the Word of God will be there encouraging us along the way to lead us in the way we should go. Even if we stumble, even if we fall. Think about the Apostle Peter. He fell flat on his face in front of the high priest and when Jesus was being condemned, and he he said, no, I don't want Jesus. No, he ran away in the face of persecution. And then, a couple of days later, after Jesus was resurrected, what did he do? He said, Lord, I'm coming for you. He couldn't even wait. In John 21, he jumps out of the boat and swims to shore because he knew how much his God loved him, and God built his church on him. May we have the boldness to stand for what we believe. May we have the strength to trust the Word of God be useful for every good work. And may we believe that it has been given to us for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That though we encounter persecution as Christians in this world, it doesn't matter because our Father in heaven sees us as His children whom He loves.
Please pray with me. Lord, we don't really want to be persecuted. Lord, I don't want to be persecuted for my faith. I confess that I want a life of comfort, and I confess that I want a life that is easy. Yet, Lord, tonight I know that you have given me the strength to endure all things. And Lord, for all the people in this room, for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, from the youngest to the oldest, you have given that same strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. That if we run to your word and we trust in your promises, that you will strengthen us, you will give us the words to say, and you will give us strength to endure all that we might see in this life. At the end, Lord, that we would have the same confidence of the Apostle Paul to say that we have run the race and we have fought the good fight that we might join you for eternity as your children, as your sons and your daughters whom you love. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this truth. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.